The mortgage industry never stays still. With interest rates moving, companies changing, and regulation increasing, there's always another story. This is The Principle, where we break it down daily and take a deeper dive into the issues. I'm Christine Stewart, Editorial Director for the Mortgage News Network. Let's pay it down. But first, a word from our sponsors. Mortgage Women Magazine. It's where women's voices are heard. Find it free at www.mortgagewomenmagazine.com. Many people in the mortgage industry have an interesting story as to how they got the job. Maybe they were in the right place at the right time, or a family member or friend recommended giving mortgage origination a go. In Christy Furco's case, she thinks her life experiences make her the perfect person to be head of diverse segments at Wells Fargo. This is The Principle. I'm Sarah Wolak, staff writer for National Mortgage Professional. At the end of last year, I sat down with Furco to discuss her new role and how she's made a successful career out of an industry that she didn't plan on being in. So basically, to give you a little rundown, um, we at Mortgage Woman Magazine would love to do a profile on you. You are so accomplished and it's so inspiring to talk to you, read about you, et cetera. So I'm basically going to do a little profile on you. We're going to go mainly about your career, but you know, I'll ask some questions about like um, your first interest in the industry, like education, basic questions like that. Okay. So um, to start off, you know, where did you grow up a little bit about your childhood? Um, and when did you get your first interest into the industry? Um, yeah, so I, um, I have a very diverse upbringing. Um, yeah, I was born in Compton, California, and uh, my parents went to rival high school. So both sides of the family, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, everybody was there in South Central Los Angeles. Um, and then my father got the coaching job at the University of Arizona. So I'm the daughter of a track coach. Um, and so we went from 99.9% Black environment in South Central Los Angeles to 99.9% White environment in Tucson, Arizona. Um, so my upbringing was really spent traversing both of those worlds. And um, I think it was really a foundational upbringing for me because, you know, I wasn't Black enough for the Black kids because I talked funny with my my accent. Uh, and I wasn't white enough for the white kids. And my parents were just really great about, um, you know, telling us like to just be who we were, like, don't try to fit into either one of those environments, just be who you are. And, and so I grew up with this incredible freedom of just being authentically me. And I think it shaped a lot of who I am and how I lead and um, you know how I how I just do life. Uh, it was that upbringing. So I'm I'm so fortunate to have my parents that gave us the kind of freedom to do that. Um, and so then I graduated from high school in Tucson and then went back to Los Angeles um, and uh, went to to USC uh, University of Southern California for my undergrad education. So uh, I was a finance major and. Um, you know, I, I like wanted to go to Wall Street. Like, that's what I was thinking I uh, kind of would want to go do. And coming out my senior year, as I was interviewing with all the Wall Street firms and the market, the stock market had just crashed in 87. I was like, is that a good idea for a career choice? Uh, the market had just crashed pretty dramatically. And I actually ran into a friend um, over Christmas who worked for Baxter Healthcare. And he was like, 
do me a favor. You have to interview. And I was like, no, 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 I'm a finance major. And he goes, just interview. You will love the people. You'll love the company. Uh, and so I did that and actually took a job, took the job. So total departure from what I thought I was going to do. I uh, took a job with Baxter Healthcare selling hospital supplies. So I am not your typical mortgage banker. Uh, I didn't, I didn't think about mortgage banking. I mean, I obviously thought about finance and, you know, all throughout my career, even then, you know, eight and a half years, I was at Pepsi in human resources all throughout my career, people would say like, you're really business oriented. And, you know, I really strong financial acumen. I'd always, you know, kind of break down data and, you know, kind of use analytics, even in my HR job. And people would be like, you're not a typical HR person. So when the opportunity actually came for me to, um, actually it was after 9-11, I was there with PepsiCo and um, I started researching companies that could allow me to balance this altruistic need to give back with this workaholic DNA. Uh, and Fannie Mae was actually one of the companies I started researching. And on October 11th, so literally 30 days after 9-11, I got the call about the head of HR for the single family business at Fannie Mae. So that was really my first entree into mortgage. And what was really compelling to me about Fannie Mae is it was this very mission-oriented, kind of putting people in homes, um, this mission-oriented perspective, and uh, with obviously the business component of it. And I think that's the thing about the culture. And I was there for 15 years about Fannie Mae that just really resonated with me is just this whole kind of ability that we have to influence, you know, kind of people in the American dream. And so going from the secondary market side to then the primary market side, when I joined Flagstar and now at Wells Fargo, I mean, we're on the front line of it, right? Like in at Fannie in the secondary market, you got to see it and touch it and enable it, right? Many ways, right? That spread between kind of primary and secondary spread is the value of a Fannie Mae and a Freddie Mac. Um, but being on the front line in a customer facing business, like I see it every day. I get to read stories of customers every day. And so that that has not only been an interest of mine, it has been um, this unbelievable um, and extraordinary gift to get to do every day in my job. So going into a little bit about your new position, yeah. um, can you talk a little bit about what you're hoping to bring to the, to the table in this new role based on all of your experience that you've had? And I love how it's come full circle for you as well. Yeah. Isn't that crazy, Sarah? And, you know, I have always believed like that my life, there are no coincidences. I believe my life is divinely orchestrated. And um, cause I couldn't have made this up. Like, you know, people, people are like, how did you manage your career? Like I couldn't have made this up. Like, and it was interesting because when the CEO asked me, um, to take on this role, um, a part of it, because it's a member of the operating company um, for the company, I had to interview with the OCC, our regulator. Um, and they were asking me to, to explain my background. And, you know, I had done diversity at PepsiCo uh, back uh, in, in the late 90s, um, really drove that initiative. Um, Fannie Mae was one of the first companies. I mean, they were cutting edge with diversity. When I joined Fannie Mae, they were celebrating like their 20 year anniversary of doing um, doing diversity and inclusion. And I was the 
um, the chief diversity officer for the company reported to me. And when he stepped out for five months, I was the acting diversity officer for the company. So it really is, as I was explaining my background to them, and then now having the business role, you know, for the last 15 years, having actually run a business and running the home lending business, um, I think it is the perfect complement of like, my life and all the experiences I've had really coming full circle to be able to apply in this role. So I think what was a, there's two components of this role that I think, um, you know, I will really try to build and bring and really build on what I've already done. Um, the internal component is how do we continue to drive representation inside of Wells Fargo and, and not only inside of Wells Fargo, but ensure that at every level of the organization, we look like America, right? We are, we are a bank, we're out lending and serving in our communities. And do we mirror those communities? Do we look like the communities that we're, we serve? And so making sure at every level of the organization, including the leadership team, including our board, that we are, you know, kind of mirroring and we're a reflection of the society and the customers that we serve. And in order to do that, it's not only about recruiting people to Wells Fargo and diverse talent to Wells Fargo, but it's really creating this environment and culture where everyone feels like they can do their best work and be their best selves and fully be included. And, you know, it's a little bit about like the microcosm of what my parents did in in our home environment, like bringing that to work where I was never told I had any limits on what I could do or be. Um, and I was supported and given tools and resources and encouragement to be my best self. Like imagine if we could do that at work every day for people, right? Like they, you could show up to work and be affirmed and validated and feel like you can do the best work that you can. So that's the internal component. And then the external component is really bringing um, you know, kind of the resources of Wells Fargo to to bear to address the racial equity issues that we face in every aspect of our business. So it's a continued extension of what we've been doing in home lending with the special purpose credit program and extending, um, you know, kind of minority home ownership. On the banking side, we have a minority banking initiative to really help the unbanked kind of, you know, come into large financial institutions and get the support on the small business banking side with, you know, minority depository institutions and uh, community development, um, CDFIs, um, you know, helping them. So it's on every, you know, the wealth advisors, it's like, do we look like, um, you know, our customer base? And so it's all the businesses of Wells Fargo. How do we, you know, really start to look at how do we drive that forward and not in those individual initiatives, but really bringing all of the resources to bear at Wells Fargo to say, like, how do we ensure that in our communities, all boats rise, right? How do we take philanthropic dollars and business, you know, products and initiatives in home lending, and then also small business and really like impact a community in a really substantial way. And that's the kind of alchemy that I hope I'll be able to create across Wells Wells Fargo. So I have to ask, you mentioned the DEI initiatives in the 90s. Um, what do you think has changed the most from DEI in the 90s to today? And what do you think is something that has remained constant? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, one of the one of the things that is surprisingly still with us 
So I remember the CEO at Pepsi um, that I worked for, Steve Reinemann was the CEO. And Steve was really dogged about, we are going to have, we had hiring targets, we had, um, and and the, the leadership team was compensated based on this. And he was like, X percent of our hires had to be diverse. We wanted X percent of our workforce, and this is the representation. And he actually paid executives on that. And there was a lot of conversation at the time, like, is that quotas? Is that, how is that different from affirmative action? And he was like, I don't care. That's how you're getting paid. And he was pretty bullish about it. He was way before his time. We're still having those conversations at Wells Fargo. And, and our CEO has also said, you know, and leaned into that. And we're still talking about that. And so unfortunately, that hasn't changed. And, and part of what is sad about why that hasn't changed is because we haven't made any progress. You know, it's been like 20 years and we haven't made progress on that enough or 30 years. We haven't made progress enough on that. And so that's why we're still having the conversation. Um, but I think what has changed is it is this is this conversation is front and center. And uh, just I'll tell you just a quick story. Um, you know, after George Floyd's murder, um, and that was really a big impetus for me to come to Wells Fargo. But after George Floyd's murder, um, different um, business leaders were having open discussions with their teams. And, um, you know, my boss would have these, they, call, they were called inclusive conversations. And he did it specifically with the Black employees inside of consumer lending. And um, it was one of the meetings was the verdict of, uh, of, of what happened with the police officers. And um, I was listening to people describe their experience about how anxious they were that day and what was happening, et cetera. And, and so they were all sharing their experience and I was just crying the whole time and I couldn't speak. And everybody had shared on the call and I felt bad that, but I was, I was so emotional. I couldn't speak. And so, you know, my boss says, you know, Christy, do you want to share? And I felt like I had to honor the group and share because they had all shared so, so personally, but I was literally unable to speak. And all I could get out was my entire life and my entire career, I have been told not to talk about race at work. And we are talking so openly and so personally about really the depths of our soul and our issues and our insecurities and our hopes and wishes and fears tied to this. And I said, it is astonishing to me we're having this conversation at work. I just can't even get my head around it. And it it broke me actually. And um, I think that's what's different. We talk so openly about race at work now. And it's in a way that I think is actually freeing and empowering for people. We've taken kind of the rules you know, the rules off about what is and is not acceptable at work. And I think it it is a huge advancement of this inclusive workforce, which says we recognize that, you know, there are issues that you deal with that I don't have to deal with. And we should talk about that really openly. So I know how to support you and you know how to support me. That's a breakthrough, I think, as we talk about inclusive, you know, environments. And so I think that's what's changed in a big way that is nothing but positive because it really does give permission for people to tell their story and to be validated for 
their unique stories. I completely agree. I think we live in a society now where work has become not just, you know, going there and going home. It's about support and inclusion and, you know, sharing, how can I help you with your responsibilities? Yeah. Speaking of that in your new role, what are some of your new responsibilities that you have to take on? And, you know, um, what's, what's your new position going to look like? Yeah, well, I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm two weeks, I'm two weeks into it, but I think it's what I described before, right? Like really, really understanding how we drive representation and make sure that we look like the communities um, in in which we uh, in which we serve. Um, we have um, substantial um, kind of employee resource networks, and so um, you know uh, we've got. Um, a black African American, we've got a Hispanic, we've got a women, a veterans, an Asian, um, um, just really supporting those different um, groups, LGBTQ. Um, so just supporting those different groups, understand those initiatives and and what they're really um, driving toward. Um, you know, the external impact around really advancing kind of our business efficacy in these communities uh, and really being able to, to make an impact and, and then really, you know, shifting the culture and driving this culture of inclusion that, that if we are showing up to work at Wells Fargo kind of as our full selves and who we are. And every employee has permission to do that. When we serve customers, they will feel that kind of on the phone, right? I, I've always said happy employees create happy customers. And so I've always focused on the employee aspect, but but this kind of, you know, the this diversity and inclusion, if we could really create this culture where employees felt valued and included, that's going to permeate in every customer discussion that we have. And people will start to say, Wells Fargo is different than the other banks. And and this experience that I have with Wells Fargo, like I just feel different, right? Like that will be a huge measure of success or like what's happening at Wells Fargo? Like my engagement with them, it's totally different than it's been in the past. Like I would love our customers to be able to say that, that, that would be a huge impact. But um, but it really is, it really is this, and what I'm hoping I can really drive is this comprehensive agenda and framework for the organization where we could drive measurable and sustainable change for the company and impact for our communities. Like if I could achieve that in this role, I will feel very, very proud about what we'll be able to do as a company. I love that um, feeling. I feel when I talk to you, you're so like authentic. Do you have any mantras or any, um, you know, philosophies that you're carrying with you into this new position? Like I know you're on a number of boards, which is going to be my next question, but (laughs) what are you carrying with you to this role? Oh gosh, I have a lot. Um, You know, I, one of the ones I grew up with that I live with kind of each day is, um, you know, what the mind can perceive, the will can achieve. Um, I got that, you know, that my parents told us that all the time. And it's this whole, you can, you can be anything that you put your mind to kind of this, like no boundaries, no limits, just if you can conceive it and you're willing to do the hard work that you can perceive it, um, you know, that, 
that is one that that I have lived with. Um, another one that is huge for me is Gandhi and be the change you want to see in the world. You know, if it's a if not you, then who? Um, you know, and again, I grew up with parents that were like we'd come home and complain about something. My mom's like, well, go fix it. Like, don't complain about it. Like, go fix it. Like, you can do that. Um, and so really, you know, really driving, driving into that. Um, and then this, um, you know, just this whole notion of leaving things better than you found them. And, you know, every position I've ever had, including my very first job at Wendy's at 16, um, it was, you know, like my boss was like, nobody works like you do. And, you know, it's kind of like a, my work is my hallmark. And it, you know, it's just one of those things, like I just got this sick work ethic, but it, it's very much a, like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And I am 150 or I'm zero. Like if I'm in it, I'm 150. And so it's really this thing about leaving things better than you found it. And I hope each job I've had, you know, people have said she made a difference or, you know, kind of her presence and the fact that she was here, the fact that she was engaged, um, you know, kind of, were better for having known her, for having her participated. And, and it really is this wanting to leave things better than I found them. I love that. And lastly, um, I understand you're in a number of groups, MBA, Open Doors Foundation, City Year, you know, Board of the National Urban League. Um, you don't have to elaborate because I know like this isn't the meat of the story, but would you tell me a little bit about those roles, um, what they entail, what they mean to you, et cetera? Yeah, I think, um, you know, for every one of the boards that I have joined, it's something that I am personally passionate about. And, you know, I'll, I'll talk about the last year of the mortgage bankers, because it's probably the most fresh for me. Um, you know, when I was asked to join the leadership ladder, it was, you know, it's a three-year ladder. You come in as vice chair, then chair elect, and then the, your final year as chair, um, and then they don't tell you there's a fourth year, which is like immediate past chair where you still have stuff to do, but uh, they only talk about the three on the ladder, but it's, um, you know, it was one of those things that like gets an incredible honor to be nominated by your peers to, and voted in, you know, kind of by your peers to represent the industry, but it, this is an industry that has given so much to me and I didn't grow up as a mortgage banker, but I've been in it for the last 20 plus years. And, um, I love everything about it. I love the heart of the industry. I love how much, you know, people care about what we do and serving customers. Um, you know, it, it, it is a, it makes a difference how we do our job and the industry and the MBA, specifically as the trade organization representing the industry, it was an unbelievable privilege to, to get to represent the industry and be kind of the face of the industry for the year. And, and I was really overwhelmed and humbled by the people that I met and the depth that I got to see kind of the entire housing ecosystem. I got to see that more broadly in the role and how effectively we work together to effectuate change for, you know, literally millions of Americans. And so, you know, that it, it, it's something I'm passionate about. It's something, you know, that that I felt I can contribute to. And, you know, the Urban League, I actually had a board meeting today. Um, you know, it's the same thing. It's about racial justice and and, you know, kind of ensuring like 
taking the underserved, and that's the same thing in city year, um, you know, less so when I was on the Detroit Zoo board, which I've gotten off now, but, you know, it, it, it really is about, you know, kind of identifying where there is a need or some segment of the population that is not being served and leaning in and serving that in a substantial way and lending my voice and my time and my resources um, to be able to help these organizations advance that are in a position to be able to, you know, kind of change the plight of people's lives. And that gets me excited. I've got a lot of time and energy to do that every day. Christy, thank you so much. Is there anything else as we're coming to the end of the interview that you wanted to add that I didn't ask or you wanted to elaborate on? Well, the only other thing I would just say, and uh, and it's a little bit about, you know, kind of the year that I had as, as, as chair as the MBA, but, you know, I, I just think there's such an incredible opportunity. And, and I do think George Floyd created this moment for our nation. And then COVID, the fact that we were all locked inside paying attention. And, um, you know, I think the work that my predecessor, Susan Stewart, did around minority homeownership and that, that I was able to continue with the Home for All pledge, um, we're in this like phenomenal moment where um, everyone really does seem committed and focused on making substantial real change. And it will be the thing I'll do in this new job kind of for Wells Fargo, I think the Mortgage Bankers Association, if I've, I've handed the torch now to Matt Rocco, he'll continue that. But it really does feel like, and it's a little bit how it felt after 9-11 too, this really big world or everybody's doing their own thing. Like all of a sudden we felt as one, like moving forward in a shared goal. And I'm really excited about that potential to really make a difference for communities um, and, and people uh, you know, especially communities of color for, for years to come. I really feel like we're on the verge of something big, but I've never seen the level of engaged, committed, aligned um, support and initiatives happening in the market. And so I'm really excited to see that continue and and do my part every day to be a part of it. I know it, it can only get better. Christy, thank it you. It can so only get better. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. So it has been such a pleasure talking to you. I'm so inspired and um, really appreciate yeah. you taking time out of your schedule. Thank you, Adam and Nick, for helping arrange it, too, as well. Of course. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Christy. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. The Originator Connect Network, the nation's largest producer of mortgage events, is about fostering a community founded on professionalism, collaboration and personal and professional growth connecting you to the story of your success. Here are the rest of your headlines for today, January 30th. The momentum continues to start 2023. The National Association of Realtors reported that pending home sales increased in December for the first time since May of 2022, which came after six months of declines. An NAR economist said that this may signal that the low point in home sales activity is over. In other news, former reverse mortgage executive Michael Hild was sentenced Friday to 44 months in prison for defrauding investors. Hild was convicted in 2021 of inflating the value of mortgage-backed securities he sold to investors. The sentence is in line with what his lawyers wanted, and much lower than the 15 years prosecutors asked for. This has been The Principal, a Mortgage News Network podcast. All podcasts are produced by T.G. Cotamperor, Matthew Mullins, and Sarah Woolock. Mike Savino is head of multimedia, and Christine Stewart is editorial director. 
The opening theme was Status by Jamie Bathgate, and the music you hear now is Glossy by Skygaze. You can find episodes of The Principal at www.mortgagenewsnetwork.com, or you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate and review so that others can find us. Thanks for listening.